say, look, when I ate anything with fruit, my blood sugars shoot up. Yeah, but the way the blood sugars shoot up is because your microbiome is off and you've damaged your insulin receptors with saturated fats and with animal products. Nevertheless, it's amazing how quickly this can reverse itself. Statins prevent the reversal of diabetes and prevent the, it, they slow down the weight loss, they prevent the diabetes reversal, they maintain, they get things worse and people know on statins the major problem is that they worsen diabetes. Cardiovascular disease, you've assessed that the urgency has been addressed, that indeed provided there's certain indications that they're not rushed into emergency, they're able to walk out in six weeks. And the follow-up time, do you have examples of people who were scheduled for bypass surgery and later told you, I never needed bypass surgery. Tons of them. I have, and I have, um, of course, I have multiple examples of that in my latest book called Eat for Life. I have a lot of, at the beginning and the end of each chapter, I have examples of case histories and sometimes throughout the chapters too. And I have people who've recovered from autoimmune conditions, multiple sclerosis, and many cases of people who have been even in the hospital with heart failure on drugs who've even coded in the hospital and had a shock box back to life again who are near death and they and they asked special permission to get my to bring my advice into the hospital and feed them the diet in the hospital and get them they out of fed there. them the right diet in the hospital they brought my food i brought had food brought into them and they got permission to because they were, were almost they allowed the tablets a person was almost not going to leave the hospital alive i've had people near death and i've had plenty of people even had a person who was a doctor a medical family physician who had a, heart, a small heart attack in Nashville um, and was told he needed urgent, but not emergency, um, bypass sur um, or angioplasty, but urgently. In the, you know, and his um, relatives, who were also doctors, called me up to intercede, and we had him gotten away from the hospital, brought here, and he stayed here about six weeks, lost about 50 pounds, and got completely well, and is doing thriving as a family, you know, thriving, doing great, where he could hardly walk, he was walking the hills, and so it's it's just amazing. The person I was giving the example earlier, who's here now, who was um, came here right from the hospital as well, and his blood pressure on admission here after being in the hospital, they were trying to control his blood pressure on multiple medications. When he came in, his blood pressure was like two ten over one twenty when he arrived here. And I'm saying this is the blood pressure you come in here. You should. This is like they shouldn't have let you out of the hospital. But within, I, I think about. 10 days of being here, I had to add medic. By the way, I had to add medication when he arrived, not take medication away because it was so poorly controlled. But by the first 10 days, I was able to take away the medications I added and take away all the medications they had him on, and his blood pressure was completely normal after being here 10 days. They couldn't control his blood pressure in the hospital, and they were blowing out his kidney because they didn't really know how to do it. What I'm saying, of course, is that this nutritional intervention it works relatively quickly and is much more effective than more conventional care where they just use drugs and surgery. Tremendous. Yeah. And, and the other question you were asking me was about statins. Yes. If I could just comment Please. on that too. Because statins, because the main problem people have is the fat cells make them insulin resistant. And because fat cells block the uptake of insulin. Now the beta cells in the pancreas are overworked trying to produce more insulin. The statins make that worse. They increase, and they make you have more appetite too. So they contribute to weight gain, oh. and they accelerate the di advance the diabetes and make the diabetes worse. And when people come, and when people have heart disease, they always have metabolic syndrome and some degree of elevated glucose 
So because every overweight person has a degree of metabolic syndrome. There's no such thing as an overweight person that doesn't have insulin resistance because fat cells in the body cause insulin resistance. And when you're eating, especially animal fats, they change the shape of the insulin receptor and make your, your insulin not able to bind as well. So now you have to be very responsive even to a mango, their blood sugars shoot up. So, what I'm so they blame the mango. They forget that they, they blame, had the steak that last night. Right, right. They blame the mango and they say, look, when I ate anything with fruit, my blood sugars shoot up. Yeah, but the way the blood sugars shoot up is because your microbiome is off and you've damaged your insulin receptors with saturated fats and with animal products. Nevertheless, it's amazing how quickly this can reverse itself. Statins prevent the reversal of the diabetes and prevent the, it, they slow down the weight loss, they prevent the diabetes reversal, they maintain, they get things worse and people know on statins the major problem is that they worsen diabetes. That doesn't mean that lowering the cholesterol doesn't have some benefit, but we could lower the cholesterol more effectively without the risks of statins and of making things worse. Also, when you change your diet like I'm suggesting, it literally wipes away the oxidized LDL. That's the bad actor. The bad actor is oxidized LDL. And lowering and using a statin drug doesn't remove all the oxidation as much as the dietary change. So we can get the stat we can get this the cholesterol down, but we also change the biochemistry, reduce inflammation, and remove the oxidation, which is more even more important than the ultimate number of the cholesterol, the amount of cholesterol. Dr. Furman, my friends from India, ghee, clarified butter. One of the most inflammatory uh, foods around. Uh, why are they trying to justify the use of ghee just because of centuries of use? It may help in the absorption of turmeric, for example, like a drug delivery, almost like a liposome. But is it better to cook Indian food without ghee? Yes, we, we see that... There is some advantage to using some fat in your diet when you're eating the vegetables because you can definitely, by using, let's say... But you can use um, seeds, nuts, right, and uh, things, whole food. Right, a half, of, um, a half an ounce of nuts and seeds will increase your absorption in that meal, will increase your absorption of the carotenoids and the phytonutrients and the isothiocyanides by maybe 20 to 50-fold by using a small amount of nuts and seeds. We suspect that one of the reasons why the Adventist Health Study 2 showed a 39% lower rate of cardiovascular death from people using nuts and seeds regularly in their diet is because it increases the absorption of phytochemicals from these protective foods. So that, and there are some studies like the Prevamid study that shows that using some fat, even olive oil, did better than people with no, with, with no fat or with butter. That but we, the olives would have been better than olive oil, right? Exactly. We get much, but the, that when they switched them from the olive oil to nuts and seeds, they got another 60% reduction in, cardio 60%. Reduction in cardiovascular death. So what I'm saying here, yes, a little fat is important, but the ghee doesn't have the most effective, it doesn't have, a little fat can help absorb nutrients, but that's like taking the statin drug, because then you have some benefits, but a lot of other negative things that go with it, like blocking estrogen receptors and causing more inflammation. Here we have the benefits without doing that, and we know that walnuts and seeds have anti-inflammatory effects and lower rates of cancer, extend human lifespan, and tremendous effects at stabilizing the heart against cardiac arrhythmia. Because don't forget, a lot of people with heart disease die of sudden cardiac death. In the physician's health study, they further evaluated the people that died with autopsies and tracking back with the relatives how fast they died. And they, they ascertained that the nut, people who ate the nuts and seeds had a 60% lower risk of sudden cardiac death because it was that irregular heartbeat the nuts and seeds were protecting against, not just the clots. These, these fats have beneficial effects you're not gonna get by using ghee, coconut oil, 
or using animal fats. You have to get them from the whole nuts and seeds to get these magnificent. I'm glad you brought up coconut oil. It's the big craze. It's supposedly the miracle, like fat reducing, yet there was a, a study showing that it, it didn't re actually help assist in reduction of body fat. Um, and, and really, I think they're falsely pointing to the South Pacific where they do eat a lot of whole coconut. One island, that's more saturated fat, but the whole coconut, the water, the coconut meat, the white part, and they have slightly higher cholesterol, about 180 compared to another island that doesn't use coconut, and theirs is about 160, 140 cholesterol, and both have no cardiovascular disease. So there are instances, but we're not saying that it's appropriate then to just extract out the oil out of this fresh, natural, fibrous coconut meat that is good for us, and then just jump in and start taking and using a bunch of coconut oil. Now, I don't know about what your opinion is, but I think I know what the answer is going to be. Coconut oil is not beneficial. Uh, maybe beyond a teaspoon here or there we can get away with, but the triglycerides, the fat, the, the clumping of the blood. Well, neither would be the coconut for that matter, because look, um, we're looking at, we look at any blue zone where they're not doing everything perfectly. They're just doing a lot of stuff good. So they get better than the average Americans get. A lot of reasons. But, but eating the whole coconut is better than coconut oil, right? Absolutely. But of course, when we see some people with obesity and heart disease, they're probably better eating a limited amount of nuts and seeds and skewing the coconut because they're going to increase the, the, caloric, the, the density. caloric density and the too much. We got to use some high cal calorically concentrated food versus another. And we have a person in a very um, potentially risky position. We want to choose the very best foods for them. And a healthy person like you or I can eat some coconut, but for a person that's in cardio, should probably. Yeah. But we have, but other, but let's say walnuts and flax seeds and chia seeds and sesame seeds and all these things might be, and hemp seeds might be better choices than coconut. So we could use coconut more moderately. Is there a reason you don't like coconut over walnut? Yes, because co walnuts have a more beneficial omega-3 fatty acid profile. They have more ALA. They have more flavonoids, bioflavonoids. And they are absolutely been documented in scientific literature to have anti-cancer effects, anti-arrhythmic effects, and protection against dementia, and protect more against cardiovascular death. You, 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 there's, there's more scientific documentation for their um, being from their benefic beneficial effects, and they're compared to something like a coconut. But we can only eat so much in our, so much food, and we're just trying to pick and choose what's pick best, and choose right? what's very best when we have a person in a fragile position. So let's be clear: it could be as few as three to six walnuts a day. And Dr. Howell wrote a book about enzymes, and he talks about soaking, which I do every every night. I soak the walnuts and almonds and different things, and I pour off the brown juice, whatever it is, because they say it's an anti-enzyme property. And it brings the food to life. And then I consume it after it's in the refrigerator to prevent it from getting mold and things. And then I take my chia and flax and um, sesame seed in another bowl and I soak them in water because it gets real thick like a mush, you know, and it actually helps to lower cholesterol too, right? So all these combinations. And lower cancer. Yes. And they have very powerful anti-cancer effects. So it's, it's, and also the, lignin, the highest lignin-containing foods with the most effects on breast and prostate cancer are flax seeds and chia seeds, and some in sesame seeds, but flax and chia have them. And sesame has the highest source of calcium in the world. world. Right. So there's a lot of, a lot of benefits there of those foods. You're not gonna, so, and I'm all for people using a variety of nuts and including some coconut, Good. but I don't want them to think that coconut's better than a walnut or sesame seeds or flax seeds. Perfect. You still got to have that balance. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100% with that because, you know, I, I worked with Nathan Pritikin, which was the no, no added fats, no nut seeds. And, and I, I interviewed Dr. Colwell Esselstyn, and I said, look, there's studies showing that walnuts do reduce coronary heart disease. You wrote a book, Reversing Heart Disease, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. And he said, but the problem is, Nick, no one just eats one or two or three nuts or seeds. They, they, 
they usually get the salted roasted and they eat a whole bunch of them. I said, well, okay, wait a minute. We're talking nutritional now. Let's not talk about what people do. Let's talk about what they should do from a nutrition standpoint. That's like the argument in the hospitals used to give me and my professors in medical school used to say, yeah, we know that works, but people aren't going to listen to you. Right. So we don't have, give them that kind of advice. We don't tell people what's right. We don't treat them like they're intelligent and make their own decisions. We try to lie to them and tell them something that's false because we think we know better than they do. And that's just, it's not true anyway. It's yeah. not true that people are just going to eat more. There may be some rare people that would eat more, but we give spe people specific instructions as to what's ideal, the exact amount to eat, and they say to me, you tell me exactly what to do, Dr. Froman. I'll write it down. I'll do exactly what you tell me because I really want to get well of my heart disease. I really want to get well of my rheumatoid arthritis. I'll do what's best. And what's best is not to exclude them completely. It's to, as you're saying, to have moderate consumption of them. And we know that the amount you should have to maximize your cardiovascular risks, and it's not zero is not the best amount. So just because a few people are, have addictive behaviors, Towards, towards nuts, it doesn't mean the other 98% should not eat any, because they're going to be worse off. Now you just hurt 98% of people, you know, because you, you increase their risk of sudden cardiac death by taking all the nuts and seeds out of their diet. I have a question because, you know, for myself, having been plant-based, uh, oil-free, but not fat-free for 43 years, um, I actually carry a little bag with me there, the, the USC bag, and I, I carry fresh fruits and vegetables and whole salads with me. So that way I'm not tempted, you know, because society exists, right? And if I get starved, which comes first? I'm starved, my blood sugar's dropped, I'm really weak, or I'm going to eat and reach into my bag and eat some fresh food. So, so that being said, they're not going to be able to hear us as well. We're going to re replay it. So that being said, the, the whole idea of lifestyle intervention is we're talking to intelligent people. They want the correct answers. And so for me, for Don't example, them, right? no, we got to give them all the facts. And so, so for myself, uh, you know, monitoring my blood work, not just by myself, but I have other MDs monitoring me that are really experts in the world. I monitor them for various things. We have to be not our own doctor, but be our smartest advocate, right? Because we ultimately are the ones that have to make the decision. So that being said, I'll start off in the morning with this gruel of uh, seeds that have been soaked. Uh, and you agree that maybe removing this anti-enzyme property supposedly because that anti-enzyme property may deplete our own enzymes. Not sure on that. I don't know if it's ever been verified, Guyton Medical Physiology and so forth. It doesn't, I don't think it depletes our own enzymes, but some things are you're going to maybe increase digestibility. Okay, good. Either way, it's a good thing to, to soak them, right? And then I have in a separate bowl, as I mentioned, the walnuts, uh, cashews, various Brazil nuts and different things. And then I put them together with some berries. So that's my breakfast in the morning oftentimes because I need enough calories to get through to my next meal, to the day, and I keep my window of eating between 8 in the morning and 8 at night. So my next big meal is lunch, and I have this humongous vegetable salad. No oil dressings. Uh, I use exotic various flavors and spices and chilies and things. Chilies are very high in vitamin A and C, by the way, right? Yeah. I'd like to, um, I would uh, more give more specific 
of about an amount to eat because keep in mind that most people are okay. most people are overweight. Yes. They're not slim like you and I. They're not maybe as physically active. So what I'm saying is. Oh, but by the way, were you ever overweight? Because you genetically appear like my brother, like lean, fit. You have ripped abs. Uh, you know, I mean, me, I, I, I battled to even show abs to you know when I when I look at fatty food, I gain weight. You know what I mean? Right. Well, you know, I was on the world figure skating team. I was third in the world in pairs figure skating. So I, I was a professional athlete, and I kept, and, and I used to perform in shows. So I wanted to keep myself fit, and I loved doing sports and staying and doing skiing and playing. Yeah, but I was very athletic too. It didn't, it didn't keep me lean because, because I was eating, you know, animal protein, and I couldn't offset. I had since my teenage years. I've been eating this way, so it's always kept me lean too. Well, yeah. So back to my story. I had cardiovascular disease. I had high blood pressure. By the age of 21, I had a TIA, my first stroke. Right. If and you ate healthier when you were younger and didn't have those things, you might have an easier time maintaining your leanness too, is what I'm saying. If you, Probably, maybe, right. maybe. Right. But let me just say that... But, but, but you do ascribe to, there are people born with 300 billion fat cells, there's those with 100 billion fat cells, and those with 30 billion fat cells, and the 30 billion literally could almost eat anything, and they just don't have the storage, whereas a 300 billion fat cell person, when they eat the same food, they they store it. They store it and gain it easier. I, isn't there some evidence to that? Yes. There's there's obviously people with um, with more propensity to put on weight and be unhealthy. Right. It's even more important than eating an ideal diet and control their caloric density of their diet and eat healthy food, of course. But what I'm saying, since most Americans are overweight, we that the I want them to eat like a cup of berries in the morning. Yes. And put on, let's say, um, a teaspoon. A tablespoon of flaxseed or chia seeds, a tablespoon, mm -hmm. and a tablespoon of maybe hemp seeds or, um, or, f or chia, hemp, chia, And it's flax. okay they were soaked. Yes, but it's two tablespoons. Yes. That's the amount they're using. They're not okay. also eating pecans and pistachio nuts and, and they're not also eating other nuts. That's it for the nut intake, maybe a couple of walnuts. And then they had the, or they maybe had a little almond hemp milk on that. And then they had maybe two tablespoons of oatmeal or steel cut oats or quinoa in that. You don't need a whole bowl because the, the flax, as you're saying, the flax seeds and chia seeds expand. They yes. soak up liquid. The berries fill up the bowl. You're filling up the bowl with the, with a, well, two tablespoons of, of oats. You don't need a huge amount of oats. It's still Could it be steel cut oats? Yes, right. So you don't, have a, you, you don't need to have all those other nuts. I would prefer they save the other nuts to eat some with their lunch. So they're not going to have more than half an ounce of nuts with each meal. So their level for their overweight is ounce and a half is the top level. They had a half an ounce. So you can put half an ounce in the dressing, the salad dressing for lunch. So if you put three ounces of nuts in your, in your blender and you put in the tomato sauce and the, and the sun-dried tomatoes and the roasted garlic and a little bit of nuts in there and a little bit of vinegar, you made a delicious dressing. Well, that three ounces of nuts is for three people, for th is for six servings. For two people for three days, you follow me? So they, only about it. So they measured out, I'm just being more Yeah, precise. and you need to. To more precise how much nuts yeah. they want them to eat so they know specifically what we're talking about here. Right. Not eating piles of it, because you can eat more and I can eat more nuts, cause may, but maybe this person, they have that limit of, a, so I'm saying give them some guidelines here, the, of the amount to use in their dressings and things. Half an ounce per serving per salad. Dr. Furman, were both your mom and dad fairly lean or either one of them obese? Not obese, but my father weighed over 200 pounds before he learned about healthy eating. And when I was, he was very... He was six, about six foot tall? He was about six foot tall. Okay. He was about, and I think he was about 190 at one point. Okay. And then he dropped to about 165 once he changed his diet wow. and got healthy. I've always been around between 145 and 150 my whole life. When I was competing as an 18-year-old, I was 150. And now most of my 
athletic career, I was about 150. Now I run about 145. I'm a little lighter because I'm not lifting weights and being as intense with my exercise. So to, in order for You're me to about get... about 5'10"? I'm about 5'9 now. Okay. But in order to I'm be... 5'8". Yeah, I was maybe 5'10", and now I shrunk to 5'9". I'm thinking about another I'm, I'm almost 67. Yeah. Um, but I'm suggesting that it's okay to get a little leaner as you age because you're not going to have the same musculature when you did when you were 30. Mm-hmm. So I may be a little lighter, but I still can do like 50 push-ups and, you know, and 15 chins, and I can still, I feel just as agile and physically fit as I used to be, but I'm a little lighter now perhaps. You know what I mean? Yeah. For myself... Um struggling when I was 12 years old, they had to get me husky pants. I was overweight, you know, all through the years. As a baby, I was, they say I was heavy. I mean, you know, I, I, I really had that, like my other brother, very genetic tendency to gain weight easily. And my other brother, he was kind of like the lean guy, ate literally anything and everything at all times. Now he's more plant-based, but he, you know, stayed lean. So I had that struggle, but I, in sports, because football, you could you could be big, you could be you know heavy, and you know, there was except we had weight classes. But then I went on, and after I had my my TIA, uh, and I, I saw Nathan Pritikin on Hour Three Pace in sixty minutes, and I read his book Live Longer Now. That was the word, and I followed it to a T. And so for a year, you know, I, I went complete plant based. I found it easier to drop body fat. I dropped about fifty pounds, and I felt great. But my cholesterol didn't come down until I gave up the chicken um, and the egg yolks because I was worried I was going to lose muscle. So that leads me to my next point. I, I was able to give it up. My muscle density remained. I just kept training and I thought, gosh, I didn't lose any muscle density. In fact, my recovery better. My inflammation levels are lower. My joints are healthy. I feel fabulous, but I still had the hard plaque. Even years later, a, a coronary calcium score. Unfortunately, I had one of my relatives do a coronary calcium score who was eating badly and I thought it would convince them to stop eating badly. But as a child, they were raised on plant-based all the way up to a certain year, and then they fell into the wings and the, the chicken and meat. And now they use that test saying, my arteries are clean. I don't need you know to eat, eat, eat clean like you. And yet, the soft plaques, I can pa- pass a uh, echo stress treadmill, uh, imaging shows you know these hard plaques, but the soft plaques are gone. Yes, it's, that's, it's misleading. The cardiac calcium score is very misleading for people because okay. it reflects back on what you did many years ago because yes. it takes many years for the plaques to become calcified. Yes. So it's what you ate a long time ago. Yes. And, but, so it's not really at, um, evaluating your vulnerable plaque, your dangerous plaque. So this person who think they're good because their calcium, channel, their calcium score is low, they're not necessarily good. They're be- you're better off telling the risk by the simple methods by oxidized LDL inflammatory markers, myeloperoxidase, body fat, body doing a dietary analysis. and be- Yeah, he's overweight. Yeah, so he's much, much higher risk, and the calcium channel, the calcium, excuse me, the, the calcium score on the CT scan is less of a factor, okay. is less of a diagnostic factor. That's very helpful. So w- when we're helping people to bring their blood pressure, mine got up as high as the individual you mentioned that's here, 220 over 110. Uh, I was on blood pressure medications. I, I was blacking out. I mean, it was like, what's going on? And and fortunately, you know, I, I found out before it was too late and had another stroke. So, you know, 43 years of adhering to, I realized that 
some days because uh, let's say I'm eating more caloric density that my weight creeps up a little bit and I stay a range uh, between uh, 169 and 174 so I like to be towards 169 that's where I like to be I'm fairly muscular I lift weights and when I get up to 174 I'm looking in the mirror I'm going mm -mm, no no right and so I I'll, for breakfast I'll start off with a huge salad right vegetables salads fat-free dressing for lunch I'll eat fruit all through the day and vegetables and for dinner I'll have like an Asian meal which leaving out the rice noodles I'll have like um, pho you know Vietnamese pho uh, with, with okay it's like a clear uh, broth vegetable broth with uh, bean sprouts and mint leaves and various you know vegetables Probably the cleanest of all the Asian foods. I, I like Thai food too, but uh, Chinese uses too much oil. Uh, but it's very clean, and and I, I, I they usually make it with rice noodles and with meat. I don't want the meat. I don't want the fish. I give the noodles to one of the kids can afford the calories, right? And, and I have this big broth of vegetables at night. So so you know my meals are quite a variety I have a simply healthy cookbook oil free salt free sugar free you have various recipes in your books and so I've gravitated more and more to the nutritarian diet because as I age, I want to make sure I get the essential fatty acids. And that leads me to your vitamin recommendations, which I agree with. I think I go further for various reasons, but go ahead. Tell me about your vitamin recommendations. Well, yes, and, and by the way, what I mentioned about my food routine, what do you think about that? Um, I think well, I have such a great collection of recipes that I think you will enjoy some of my recipes, my dinner recipes. And I just want to... Sh I have yeah. your book here. But the I Eat for Life, but my Eat to Live cookbook, if you should get that book, the Eat to Live cookbook, and have some really, give you a, a great assortment of dinner. I'm all over it. I'm all in. I collect cookbooks, especially healthy cookbooks. Yeah. And you've tried and tested the recipes, and that's, that's how that you came about. It wasn't just theoretical recipes, right? right. <laughs> we have 1,500 recipes on the website, on my website. Wow. But What's the name of the website? DrFerman.com. Okay. And Furman spelled? F-U-H-R-M-A-N. And the recipes are rated by our members and our viewers. Beautiful. So you can see this one has 100 people responding, uh -huh. five stars. This one has a three star. So Love people it. can, like our, you know, so it's just like our Caesar dressing. I'm like, I know which dressings people like. We, you know, we know the ones we're going to serve. But anyway, so I have, a, I have an Eat to Live Quick and Easy cookbook. We make a lot of menu plans and a lot of recipes. And I have, on staff, I have um, professional food scientists and, you know, and chefs and things. But sure. most of the recipes... I yeah, I met Victor, one of your chefs. He's incredible. Is he? He's, yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, so a lot of the recipes, most of them probably came from me. But also I have contributions of recipes from famous chefs, oh. from world-class chefs. Chef AJ, too? No, not Chef AJ, but, I have, but other, world other top chefs have sent me recipes. I don't know if I have any. Maybe might be one or two, but in my <laughs> books I really have other chefs who've contributed. Okay. She hasn't contributed to the books at okay. all. No but, but there are very... But there are really some special things there I'm proud of that people love. So the point is, is that people could be listening to us talk and they could say, yeah, but I don't want to eat like that. I'd rather be dead than have to eat food like that and eat vegetables yeah. all day. But the point is, is that we really pride ourselves in having, making this food taste delicious. When people come, people come here just for the, they come here just for the taste of the food because they don't have to cook and clean and the food tastes so fantastic. And I have people coming here who wouldn't, who weigh, let's say 400 pounds 
who can't control their appetite and can't control their, but when they eat these foods, they really love it and they say, I can eat this way, I can do this, this tastes really good. So we're teaching them how to make it taste great too. I just want to add that. And by the way, your retreat is amazing. I, I've seen other retreats all over the world. I'm incredibly impressed. And plus, you basically, it's medically monitored because you're the man. You've been seeing patients for more than, what, 30, 40 years, right? And the interesting thing is they would spend like one day in the hospital and get a $10,000 bill for a whole month. It's essentially, you know, that price tag. But it's, that's inclusive of the medical. They might be able to submit to insurance. You can't guarantee insurance will cover. That's up to them. But every insurance company should be covering this plan. I know Dean Ornish did some work with various insurance companies and found, uh, I believe he had a 12-week program that he was launching. And, and they only cover the most sick people. If you only had, even with Dr. Ornish's work, they only cover people if you have heart attacks or have stroke or have some serious condition. But, he, you know, so it's very hard to get coverage before, but four people are really, really sick. Yeah. You know, but I'm working with a corporate company called... People in here before they die is... The yes. <laughs> I, I have a company starting to work with corporations, Elevate, and they're contacting various corporations. And look at corporate health is critical. Productivity. Uh, if they're depressed, if they're having problems, you know, they're addicted to foods and they're having trouble. They're missing, they're getting sick days. They're facing infectious diseases. Now, most of the world's been laid off. So you and I have a mission to do. And, and, and I wanted to kind of transition to, to my next thing. And that is that, is it possible that our being enamored with the belief that large amounts of protein, in fact, almost one gram of protein per pound of body weight, then you hear two pounds of protein per body weight. Is it possible that if we were to look at one of the offenders of confusion to the public, that we as we're told as we become seniors, we need more protein, as we're athletes, we need more protein, as a growing child, we need more protein. And these proteins, they're, they're acting like plant-based proteins are inferior. They're specifically referring to animal-based protein without which we can't sustain healthy lives. Now, I agree we're omnivores. We can eat small amounts of animal protein. Probably it's beneficial if, if that's how it was from primitive times. And we, we conducted ourselves as such, but most Americans and UK and so forth, the fattest people in the world, eat protein for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And protein's not by itself. The chicken has fattened up. It's fatty. It has cholesterol. Uh, it may be lower in sugar with all these keto people, but what's going on with protein? <laughs> I'm just thinking, all these questions you asked me about the vitamins, about the fatty acids, about the protein, about the thing. But let, let's go into that a little bit. We'll try to get, put it, link it all together. Put, yes. put it all together if we can. Vitamins first, and then we'll transition to protein. It's, it's not a bad to combine them. Okay, okay, good. Because, for, for example, if you're eating, there is some advantages to animal protein. They're high in zinc, for example. Seafood's high in zinc. And, and there's other advantages. You can get omega-3 fatty acids from animal products. And it's okay to supplement zinc. I use various forms of zinc for the supplementation. Right. That's what I'm recommending. Okay. But the reason is we... we if I don't want to use animal. Right. Right. So what we find from modern nutritional science, and we have to utilize all the information we have at our disposal. We have to look at the blue zones. We have to look at um, epidemiologic evidence. We have to look at randomized controlled trials. We have to look at short-term, long-term. We give more credence to trials that involve many thousands of people and go on for decades and look at hard endpoints like death or cardiovascular death or cancer death, like the Adventist Health Study too. And what, that, what these studies all seem to, one corroborates the other. We know, in other words, we give more credence when the short-term studies corroborate by the long-term studies, it shows that more animal protein in the diet leads for higher risk of both cardiovascular death and cancer death, and less animal protein leads for longer life. That's what the data shows. 
and we know some of the mechanisms via its why it's causing that. Isn't it the inverse? If you're eating more plant-based foods, you're taking in less animal proteins and cholesterol and fat anyway. So that also goes along with it, right? Yes, but if we look at the data, it shows that as you increase... If protein itself. As you increase plant protein, oh, yeah. more high-protein plant foods yeah. like hemp seeds, like quinoa, like edamame or tempeh, or like as they're eating Mediterranean, as they're eating higher-protein plant foods, it increases lifespan and lowers risk of cardiovascular death. So it's we're trying to reduce animal protein, and there is some truth to the idea that protein absorption and digestibility goes down with aging, and some people require more protein as they get older to maintain adequate, um, to contain IGF-1 levels high enough to keep the immune system activated and to keep from becoming wasting or increasing risk of cancer. What I'm saying right now, what makes your, the nutritarian diet unique, and you're following this, is that the high intake of both green vegetables and beans yes. and, and nuts and seeds combine to give you a very complete and concentrated amount of plant protein, but makes your diet protein adequate. Protein adequacy is important, and you can design a plant-based diet that could be low in protein, not for the middle-aged or young person, because then the protein digestibility is so high, but for sick people or for the elderly, the and, for the and for children, the fact that a nutritarian diet has such a variety of foods that do have a, a good amino acid pattern to it makes the diet more um, health-supporting for people of all ages and for the athlete. So we're trying to minimize animal protein and maximize the variety of plant foods, especially the protein-rich plant foods, like we're talking about the black beans, the soybeans, and not, we're not talking about um, processed foods, we're talking about whole foods. And there are even some people who've maybe eaten poorly their whole life, who even when they design their diet optimally, they still may need a small amount of extra protein supplement or animal protein to prevent their IGF-1 from dropping too low. It's maybe a hormone we might check if a person isn't thriving on a plant-based diet. Which brings us into the supplemental issue. Because besides checking for IGF-1, we check the omega-3 fatty acid, zinc, arsenic levels, things we're talking about that could be poisonous, that you get too much arsenic from eating brown rice. People would get them off all the brown rice because they're eating a plant-based diet with too much arsenic-containing rice, and it's going to kill them. And they're eating a plant-based diet, and their omega-3 fatty acid level is two or three, which is going to result in cognitive impairment and brain shrinkage with aging. And my, and my experience over my 35 years or so in this movement is I've been the primary doctor for a lot of elderly vegans in the American Vegan Society, the Natural Hygiene Society, my background. I've been doing this for decades. And a lot of these well-known, super healthy eaters developed either Parkinson's disease or dementia as they age. And they lived very long, but they got mental neurologic deficits in later life. And a lot of them, I had the opportunity to draw the blood on them and to see that their omega-3 index was non-existent. One person had an omega-3 level of zero who developed Parkinson's. And, or, and, you know, so I'm saying I'm, so I'm very cautious and advise people to make sure they take some, some vegan-type omega-3 fatty acids to make sure they keep their omega-3 index above 5. Because every study that looked at it, and I'm not saying one study, I'm saying there have been multiple studies that all showed the same thing, that as your levels drop from 5 to 4 to 3 to 2, you get progressively higher risk of cognitive impairments and brain shrinkage with aging. So, so algae, DHA... Um, you, can take, you can take that. How many capsules do you need? 
You, well, mine is in a dropper because I keep it in a black glass bottle so we can keep it so it's refrigerated. It depends on the capsule. Mostly one capsule a day is all people need, which usually has about 250 mil. But it won't hurt to take a few more. No, but, you, but they should take the minimum. Okay. And then at least the minimum. It's a, it's, we don't want to have them have an unnecessary expense. But then what I'm saying right okay. now is you can do a blood test. And okay. see if your levels, because that's people, what I was wondering. How many capsules is it taking? You're finding one capsule is enough to get them up to an yeah, optimum for, range. For most people, but people okay. are different. Some people, I've met people who don't even need any because they convert the amount of short chain ALA from the flax seeds and the ALA and the nuts into. They're so efficient converters of the short chain omega three, the ALA, into the long chain omega three. But so many people, even eating right, even watching their fat intake, even watching omega three, omega six ratio, even taking oily oils out of diet, even you know, with the, all the gymnastics they can do to try to benefit the conversion, still wind up with very low levels of omega three index. And it would be very foolish of them to to see if they can trick nature and let their philosophical vegan outlook is not going to care what you think or what you believe is still going to cause you to shrink your brain and cause a problem if your level is deficient and you stay that way for many many years Which so we have a whole bunch of vegans who think that they're going to be safe because they're believing their gurus or whoever told them this that you don't have to supplement with these things you've got to measure you're right you've got to measure, measure the lab and work. i'm the person with the experience because my whole life i've been taking care of these group this this um, community of vegans mm -hmm. who got into trouble sure. and out of the natural hygiene movement most of the people who are my mentors in the natural hygiene movement who sat on the board of directors and who are the leaders, like you know, Shelton. Shelton and Vetrano and, yeah. and Kiki Sidwa and all these people, and they are all, and Virginia Vetrano, all these people who Into I respect. Into the 21st century, there's a guy out of New York, he wrote a book, his eyesight uh, became poor, his name escapes me for a moment. But all these people develop prob these problems. Yeah. They all of all not all, maybe not every person, but a lot, not, so many develop problems that it has me uh, had me become very concerned about this issue on vegan diets. That's why I think that we can't just assume the vegan diet just because it makes people live longer and prevents dementia. You can still get dementia from another cause, not just a lack of phytochemicals. That doesn't mean taking omega three and zinc and iodine and B twelve and vitamin D, which we recommend. Methylcobalamin B twelve, right? Isn't that better, the, the varieties? I think either and one cyanocobalamin, is... cyanocobalamin, but they, they have probably. an issue with cyana. It's like... What, what? I don't know. They're probably both okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they're both okay. But anyway, what, what I'm saying is that we can't just assume because that because um, vegan diet um, may have reasons to prevent dementia, and most people... Um, who get dementia isn't because of omega-3 deficiency, because most people aren't strict vegans for 30 years, not taking omega-3. Most people get dementia because they don't eat enough fruits and vegetables and eat too much meat and cheese and other foods and sugars and things. So most dementia isn't caused by omega-3. But in the healthy eating vegan who's already eating the vegetables and the beans and the fruits, that's the cause of dementia in that group only. So you can't look at studies that show that dementia isn't caused by omega-3 deficiency because it's only in the, this healthy eating vegan that the, that's going to be, so there's multiple causes of dementia. Yeah, and we have to separate dementia from Alzheimer's. Dr. Alzheimer did autopsies, and he found that the ones with the most um, or the worst cognitive function had massive atherosclerotic plaques in the in, in the arteries leading to the brain. And and so he he said, look, it's cholesterol, it's animal product, and and everyone forgot and ignored that. So you're right, right? I'm saying there's multiple contributory right. factors, and we want to be aware enough and cognizant of every single factor that can put people at risk. And just this belief system in philosophies, we have to be more cautious right. and make sure we're putting, not putting any people at risk. And, my, and me and myself, who take care of people who are generally sick, I'm very um, 
cautious in making sure I do everything right for them. I don't want to mess anybody up. And point well taken. I do blood morphology for 43 years. I look at the shape, the quality of the cells, and when we send off to Quest Lab or any lab, you get a CBC, you get uh, the, the differential, you get liver kidney function, and yet if you see an abnormality in uh, hemoglobin and MCV and HCV and so forth, they send it off to a blood hematologist, and we look under a microscope, and we look at the shape and the quality of the cells, and we know that ovalocytes, the oval shape of the red blood cell, is B12 deficiency. We know if there's too many lobes of the white blood cells, it's six lobes or more, that's B12 deficiency. It's definitive. We know if we see microcytic, two small cells, that's iron. Uh, microcytic is iron deficiency. So we can actually then pinpoint what kind of deficiency, and everyone in the medical world is ignoring phase contrast. We used to call it dark field. But I've been looking at people's blood, including the plant-based vegan community, keto, all the famous people. And when I look at the blood, I see a history of whatever has brought that person to that point. And so personalized nutrition, I think, has become more and more important, and which leads me to the whole concept of protein. And you address supplements, we you started, and I agree. We started to talk about protein to a degree. That remember we were discussing that the Seventh Day Adventist Health Study too showed more animal protein, shortened lifespan, but, and more plant protein. But but, but you're implying that you're implying that sometimes plant proteins aren't absorbed. What about the studies that show? No, I didn't say that. Okay, okay. I'm saying that amino acid. No, I'm saying that okay. um, as we age, yeah. our ability to digest and absorb protein could go down. And so there are some people, because they've also eaten poorly, they may even have accelerated bad digestion okay. as they age. Or they're an alcoholic, alcoholic, they don't have intrinsic factor absorbed B12, no, or no. their teeth aren't very good, and they're not chewing well enough. What's the protein issue? I, I, I well, I'm saying once you get a person on a healthy diet, you eat an ideal diet, what I'm saying is that some, like there's some vegan type diets, let's say like a macrobiotic type diet, or okay. fruitarian diet, yeah. that may give people enough protein. Right. when they're in their middle ages. Right. But, the, but that diet is not designed to be plant protein rich enough for that person to as they age. But isn't it a caloric density issue, Joel? I mean, if you look at people, let's say... If their IGF-1 is getting below 50, they're at risk oh, of protein insufficiency. Really if, they're getting muscle, the, if they're getting muscle wasting, um, not thriving, and we right. draw an IGF-1 and it's 50 or below, there's an issue with not, it could be not getting sufficient protein. So even on a plant-based diet, we want to maximize plant protein, and we might, that person may need, and what I'm saying is most people following a nutritarian diet, already eating healthy for years, it's not going to happen. The nutritarian diet among the vegan types of diet pays attention to protein adequacy, so it is adequate for the elderly vegan, for the athlete vegan, and for the toddler vegan. It is adequate. The nutritarian diet includes those richer protein foods, and we're not taking out all the beans or all the nuts or all the, you know what I'm saying? We're not just, right. eating, we're not just eating rice or potato. We're having a lot of high prior protein foods. But I'm saying there, we don't want to ignore the possibility that some person's digestion is compromised and not, not only will need my advice to eat the hemp seeds and the, the, the pine nuts and to increase the protein through plant foods, but they also may need a little, let's say, egg white because they're, we need to keep their IGF-1 a little because they, they need to have their, their um, diet um, almost artificially increased in protein because their needs are individual and unique. We're all not robots, and we have some people with different digestive issues. You're saying you measure certain things, and this Everything. is just, some, <laughs> Everything so this is just something we're gonna, we have to adjust. We can't let our philosophy 
give us a one-size-fits-all approach is my point. And we have to do what's best for that individual in every case and make sure, we, make sure we're giving that person what's best for them and not let some rigid vegan philosophy prevent us from doing what's best for a person if they require something. Well, I have, I have a, a comment to, I think, an important issue. Nehemiah Delgado is a bodybuilder. He's been plant-based his whole life, uh, ripped, muscular. He's got the genetics. He trains hard, goes to Gold's Gym. I've met with him, talked to him briefly. And I think he errs on the other side by recommending too much plant proteins to try and meet some mythical level of protein that when reality, when you get enough plant-based glucose, complex carbohydrates, they have, according to Lee Haney, Fit for Life in his book, who's probably the greatest Mr. Olympiad because eight years in a row he won. Uh, he, he never had to... Um, uh, he never had to uh, like go on diuretics or fast be before his training. He never had to drop his carbohydrate intake. He got you know maybe 80 grams of protein depending on you know his servings of meals. He did take in animal protein too, granted, but he stated clearly that complex carbohydrates have a protein sparing effect. In other words, your first need is energy needs for the brain, for the glucose, the sugar, the muscles, the breathing, everything. Once that's met then the protein, instead of being digested for calories for protein, goes to protein needs, enzymes, muscle, right. tissue, That's right? right? So the higher the starch complex carbohydrates, literally the plant uh, starch derivatives, uh, the less protein we need because the protein is absorbed. And, and every study that I've looked at, NAP, ready on human studies, showed that the humans, children, at the most rapid growth rate period, absorbed not only sufficient, they grew to full size, so long as they weren't calorie deprived. And, and then we look at rats. Rats, very low protein uh, diets. They don't grow very well, but they have high protein in their breast milk. You give human breast milk to rat, which you and I would agree for two years, most societies are on human breast milk and they grow to full size with essentially all this human breast milk. Then they fit in some food along the way. And so why would we say human breast milk is incomplete and its protein contents is lower, lower than rice. It's as lower, lower than fruit. So what I'm saying is caloric density and absorption and all the amino acids are present in plant proteins, even if they are like sweet potatoes, 3% fat, 3% protein, and 96, 97% complex carbohydrates. So there's, have you seen those people? No. They're ripped, they're muscular, they're no. strong, so long as they get their calorie needs met. I'm not agreeing with you. Okay, what gram of protein do you think you need That's then? That's not the point. Okay. okay. The point that I've made, you're, you're, you, it's not the point. The point is that two things. Yeah. Number one, more variety in the diet leads for longer lifespan. 100%. When you eat a food on one food, like sweet potato or potato, it may be adequate. And I mentioned that. A person can get by on fruit or a high potato diet when they're middle ranges. It was just, it was just to prove a point. point. Right. Uh, you still what's can, the lowest you can still can get enough protein. protein. It's right. not the issue. The issue is yeah. more variety of food in the diet. You, Rain, exclude, colors. you exclude the nuts, you don't live as long. You exclude the beans, you don't live as long. You exclude the green you don't live as long. You exclude. We need a variety of beneficial foods. It gives my, us. My it exposes us. Improper. It exposes us to a lot of different types of nutrients other than protein. It's not just protein. It's the other nutrients. And these foods contain a mixture of carbohydrate, fat, and protein in them. So we, so we shouldn't obsess. So we're not obsessing about. about we're not point. trying to eat protein per se. Right. We're eating a wide variety of foods. But because oh. you're eating a wide variety of foods, you're getting better protein bioavailability because you're exposing yourself to a, 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 the amino acids and the nutrients that are available. 
available, and I'm saying the fact that you're not just eating fruit, or not just eating white rice, or not just eating a macrobiotic diet, or not just eating a potato-based diet, the fact that you're eating greens, and beans, and nuts, and whole grains, and you're eating all the, and root vegetables, let's say, you're getting protein bioavailability, and that pro increase in protein bioavailability does benefit people for in their later years, like between 80 and 100 years old. And I'm saying you do see in the, seven, in the Adventist Health Study too that higher levels of plant protein bioavailability and more plant protein in the diet analyzed led for longer lifespan and less wasting and less problems in later life. They had longer life in better designed plant-based diets and lower lifespan in more poorly designed plant-based diets where, one, where more one food was predominant and protein wasn't paid, wasn't paid attention to. Now, I'm not saying you need protein powders or protein supplements or isolated protein. I'm saying you know, it's eating a more a diet that's better, has a better protein. It, it's, it's better in a lot of ways besides just being in protein. Besides being high in protein, it also has more phytochemical exposure, more antioxidant exposure, more nutrient exposure. And you're getting a, an adequate amount of carbohydrate. Your protein-fat-carbohydrate ratio is idealized better, too. But you're right that food isn't just protein or fat or carbohydrate, that these foods have lettuce, but banana has, four, has, has some protein in it. Right. right. Oranges have protein in it. And Every food has protein. And, and the, the fats, the, the nuts are not fat. They also have protein in it. Right. So, but fruit does not have enough protein. A fruitarian diet, a lot of people with fruit-heavy diets can get by and can be like well, you said. Well, fruit only, that would be. But even a fruit, even fruit without the beans and without the nuts and with just the fruit and the lettuce or whatever it is they're eating. Some of these fruitarian yeah, radicals. they're excluding everything else and they're just eating right. fruit. They can get by in their, mid, between, let's say, into the 30 or 40 year age range, but some of these people start to become more frail, increased risk of infection and fungal disease and nail fungus as they get older, and you don't see them thriving in their later life. The diet is too low in protein to be on a fruitarian diet. For the elderly, they can get, they look vital and functioning and athletic, and they look great when they're, and ripped when they're young, but they're not gonna remain that way on that diet. I'm saying within my experience and the support of the scientific literature, it's better to have more variety and a little more protein availability from your plant foods. And to not let people think that fruit's somehow problematic, Dr. Jenkins showed you on, he established glycemic index, uh, you know, all the studies on, on blood sugar control and insulin, and he stated how much fruit, when we asked him, could you eat? He says, oh, 10, 20 pieces of fruit a day. But it wouldn't just be fruit. You and I agree. You need to have that variety of other foods in there. And well, if you're, eating, if you're eating 20 pieces of fruit a day, then you're, overe you're overeating, and your diet is not going to be balanced. Well, 20 times average calories, 60 calories is 1,200 calories. So then you get to a caloric question. So the anti-aging doctors that I work with would argue that we don't need to push up the protein, even I'll bet it's plant protein, we need to maybe acknowledge that if a person has a thyroid deficiency, and let's say they got enough iodine, and yet for some reason they're hypothyroid, you, most doctors would intervene besides iodine. They say, look, they're taking in gram dosages of iodine, uh, milligram dosages, excuse me, um, but we need a glandular. Now, so here's where I'm looking at, or you could synthesize T3, T4, and so long as you get the eight micrograms, 25 microgram ratio of T3 to T4, the T3 is 
the bioavailable form and that's what you need to thrive and restore to the optimum range and get rid of the symptoms of cold hands and feet and um and and poor arches and so forth but it works so, so I, I, I hear you don't, I don't agree I don't and let me go on to igf so because let's say what you're doing, we what you're use doing peptides human growth hormone you know the celebrities the stars do it for obvious reasons and testosterone i don't know a guy and i don't care if they're plant-based or animal-based sometimes animal because there's artificial hormones in there but i don't know a guy that i don't see some decline in free bioavailable testosterone total testosterone although vegetarians tend to have a higher total testosterone they have less free testosterone so let's talk about the hormones more are you totally opposed to anti-aging doctors using bioidentical hormones if it's prescribed within a range that makes sense uh, well, you th there's a lot of things you said and a lot of things you were addressing on them, so I can't break only, them I down. Can't, I can't break down everything down. there. Okay, whatever you like to break down. Okay. Um, first of all, by the way, I highly respect your opinion. That's why I'm asking. Okay. Most um, most people develop hypothyroidism. Yes. The thyroid gland is very sensitive to petrochemicals. Oh. And they and plastic compounds and yes. BPA and it's and the thyroid goes and usually it doesn't come back. So a lot of women develop immune hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and you're not going to refix that with iodine. There's the amount of people, so, and they do need some thyroid hormone. Right. However, prescribed, like, like armor or whatever a, a, a cleaner source. Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't agree with medicating them into the, to be excessively low because we know that people in the bottom half of the normal range live longer and have lower heart attack risk, risk and less rate of atrial fibrillation. Regarding thyroid? Yes, in compared to the upper range of T4 and T3 production. We're not trying to medicate... T3? Yeah. Because I see a lower rate of breast cancer in upper range of free T3 in the studies, which may be different than heart disease, but go ahead. Well, you have to differentiate the, 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 the subject, the study people are studying, right. because... The anti-aging doctor is doing the right thing when they're taking an obese person who's eating conventionally, and they're going to over-medicate them with thyroid hormone to drive their TSH below 2, let's say, okay? That may help the person lose weight, lower their cholesterol, and because of the loss of weight, maybe their breast cancer rates will be down, maybe they'll live longer. By the way, I don't ascribe to any doctor prescribing hormones if they don't put them on a plant-based diet. I don't feel it's safe. Okay. So, okay, so once the person is of a normal weight and eating healthfully then you're better off having their metabolism be a little slower and not driving their TSH so low okay. because the extra metabol metabolism is going to speed up the aging process and age their telomeres a little faster and age their stem cells faster. Okay. So I'd rather them be, we're saying that I'd rather their T4, if you had the normal range of T4, free T4, I'd rather them be in the upper range of normal, in the lower range of normal compared to the upper range of normal compared to most Americans. Don't forget the blood tests, what the blood test laboratory telling you is normal is based on conventional eaters in the conventional population. Just so you're aware, the normal range of white blood cell count for a healthy eating nutritarian is outside of the normal range of white blood cell counts. Low. It's low, low, right. Yes. Our normal range, we're I from... I keep mine low, yeah. Right. Our white blood cell counts are between 2.2 and 5, and the normal range in the blood test says 5 to 10 is the normal range. And the, you go to a conventional doctor who doesn't know that the inflammation is so low and the oxidation is so low. And foreign proteins. Aren't foreign proteins from animal product kind of tend to elevate yes, white blood cell activity? Absolutely. They're pro-inflammatory substances, and you produce more TMAO, trimethylamine oxide, and you right. produce more. Um, so you, get, you have much more reactive oxygen species. And I always say the flashlight is there for an emergency when you need it if you keep it in storage with the light turned off so you save the batteries. If we're constantly stimulating our white blood cells to be activated, when you need them, they're not going to react effectively. So 
the normal range I'm saying for for estrogen is much lower than what's conventionally the blood estradiol test, right is much lower because a person who's slim and eating right their estrogen level is going to be much maybe you know in the low range the thyroid is okay to be lower the white blood cells are okay to be lower so if a person is off on these things my I'm just saying I'm considering these factors right and knowing that when we have to give a person some additional hormone, we want to make sure we don't overdo it. Yes. Now, it's not saying that with a conventional anti-aging doctor, treating this overweight person, giving them extra amount, is mm. not going to be okay. It may be okay, but it's not ideal. It's not okay. It's better they didn't need the extra amount. They just used a little bit to bring them to the normal range. But still, I want their, let's say, as an example, right. I want their TSH to be, let's say, between two and four, mm -hmm. not between one and two, or right. zero and one and a half. Inverse relationship. The lower the TSH, the harder their body's trying to right. produce thyroid. Right. So if their TSH is pushed too low, that could be too much thyroid hormone, and the excessive use of the medication could increase the risk of arrhythmias or atrial fibrillation. Sure. So we're just saying be cautious with the extra amount, even though the anti-aging doctor might be advising that. And cruciferous vessels do not, do not interfere, interfere with, with healthy, healthy thyroid, thyroid production. No. no, the amount you'd have to eat to get that um, interference is almost impossible to do unless your diet is really imbalanced. You're drinking cruciferous vegetable juice all. Some obscure animal study maybe yeah, showed that. Efficient in yes, there's no human studies. That just, people can't eat that much or drink that much and also be iodine deficient to cause that to happen. So no, soybeans do not cause thyroid um, dysfunction, nor does cruciferous vegetables. Actually, cruciferous vegetables are linked to low risk of thyroid cancer and low risk of thyroid nodules and low risk of thyroid disease in general. So, so you shouldn't be, that's not a concern for people who are iodine sufficient. However, we should be making sure we, can, we have some iodine, that we have some iodine exposure too, you know, and the RDI is 150 micrograms a day. There is bromides, there's haloids, fluorides that interfere with normal thyroid production in the real world today, this in toxic the real world, world that's unfortunately, what the right? right? That's right. The, the, the thyroid function in the real world is mostly, the thyroid malfunction that's so prevalent out there a is billion most people. It's mostly due to toxic exposure. Yeah. It's toxicity. It's not, it's an autoimmune, it's a combination of toxicity and autoimmune reactivity, and the thyroid is very sensitive in that field. It's not due to, it's not predominantly from iodine deficiency or eating too much cruciferous vegetables. It's due to toxic exposure. That's what it's. Are you okay with using detox methods, exercise, far infrared spa, baking some of these chemicals out, drinking more water, eating more fruits and vegetables, uh, using uh, turmeric, anti-inflammatory, I mean, different things, especially maybe even adding fiber besides if they're on a, a lower calorie intake to lose weight they might need to add some uh, fermented uh, soluble and insoluble fiber are you okay with looking at that uh, from that perspective yes yeah, so i might be utilizing some of those things okay. i i do recommend people take um you know mushroom extracts or turmeric a little green tea in some of those cases so i do recommend i have a one of my supplements has that in it for people and i do have people who have history of cancer or who are looking to boost their immune system utilizing those some of those things but okay. um nice. but nevertheless i'm always going to emphasize that we know for those things may be helpful but the major thing that they have to do that's most helpful is what they're eating and the eating is more important than the exercise and eating is more important than you know certainly sleep is very important but all these things we may do that may help a little bit, the primary intervention has to be the, the correct diet and the optimizing the diet and making sure they slim. You know, I always say don't forget the primary principle. Moderate caloric restriction in the context of micronutrient excellence. And the micronutrient excellence has to include micronutrient comprehensiveness to make sure nothing is missing.
Of course we want people not to expose themselves to toxins and, and pathogenic bacteria and worms and parasites and poisons and chemicals and, and you know, of course, that's what, but, but everybody knows that, but we're talking here about really optimizing the diet to have nutritional optimization, clean, nutrient-rich food, grown in clean soils, organically, and not overeating. And when you do that, the magic happens and everything else is secondary. I had been shown to have an adrenal dysfunction, very low cortisol production, and I later found out that not only did I have an addictive nature, I had to eat more food than normal to, to get a kind of artificial release of cortisol and then just finally feel like I had eaten because I couldn't, I'm told cortisol pushes free fatty acids, amino acids, and glucose into the cells. So I always, even after a big meal, I was starved. It was crazy. And it wasn't until later I dress, addressed my adrenal dysfunction that finally I could eat a normal plate of food and walk away and go, oh, I feel good. I feel satisfied. And then my addictive uh, behaviors went away. I know here at your retreat, you have psychologists and counselors to help people with addiction. And and you have people that over a six-week period, which it probably takes about six weeks to get a person off their food addiction. Some cases it takes three months. Yeah. Well, I encourage people who have real food addiction issues to take three months here. It seems crazy, but that's what works the best. That's that's amazing. When you go to a drug addiction center, for cocaine addiction, mm-hmm. do they keep they keep you there three months? Yes, and it reduces the chance of recidivism. Right, food addiction is the most deadly and serious problem we have, and it's terrible. And so I lived it my whole younger years. So we really um, sometimes need to address that with with profession with some degree of professionalism and expertise. And that's why people fail on diets. They read a book, and don't forget, I've. Um, been blessed to have sold millions of books and helped thousands of people change their diet and get rid of food addiction. They don't have to come to my place to do it. They can do it on their own. But sometimes Not with these really, seri- really. <laughs> but, but you know, sometimes with these seriously ill people who, are, who know their food, are food addicts and are overweight and who don't able to do this, then coming to a place like this with real professional help can be a- tremendous. Tremendous. I, I'm, I'm totally appreciative. With that, again, being plant-based yet. You know, the people out there go, oh, wait a minute, you use adrenal glandulars, you use thyroid glandulars. Yes, uh, there's times where certain people have Addison's disease, uh, they have such deficient adrenal production that they literally would die if they can't produce enough cortisol. So their way of dealing with it, just overeat or take drugs or, or alcohol, and then they get a rush or even emotional, they get in a fight and that gets their cortisol level up, but, but it gets them in big trouble, you know, with relationships. So for the number of people, and I'm seeing an alarming number of people in this stressful times needing adrenal intervention, but that doesn't negate that I'm going to put them on a whole nutritarian plant-based diet. I'm going to get them some hypnosis and counseling and NLP and timeline therapy, all of this stuff with exercise and sleep, now you got a person that's got a better chance of getting a good outcome, right? Because without which, you and I know that diet, because it, it hits more, you know, the, the food that goes through your digest tract and reaches your bloodstream and your immune system and the lymphatic system, truly is the biggest factor. I don't I argue don't with that. That's number, that's number one. And those, pe- and those cases you're talking about yes. are relatively infrequent where you have to do those kind of things. My experience is yes. when you do the right thing, you don't need to do the extra things. That, but in some cases, we want to have more open our toolbox tool available yes. to help people that need extra help. Yes. I love that shirt. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Joel, the passion that you live, that you speak, that you live and you walk your talk, it's important because... There are gurus out there that 
you, you hang out with them, they don't walk their talk. They don't live the word they're, they're teaching. And the good thing is, too, you're living it. You're reminding yourself by counseling other patients, hey, I got to go lighter on my dinner meal. I got I to gotta get my exercise. No, when I'm telling them to chew their salad better, it's helping me because I'm remembering <laughs> to chew it better because I could be rushing from one thing and eat my salad too yeah, fast. You know it's what I mean? so true. And, yeah. and, and, and the work effort. And, and I've written 10 books, you've written, I don't know, 14 or more. I know what it takes when you're merged. You know, my new book, Blood Doesn't Lie, and my new book coming out on estrogen dominance. So I feel like a kid in a, in a grocery store going, I get to ask him all these questions that, that kind of validate or question some of my theories of 43 years of work and science. So, but that work to write a book, I mean, you got to decide, am I going to work out? I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to eat healthy. No, that, that's so, why I'm finished writing books. Yeah, I understand. I've, I spent most of my life being so um, working, overworking, yes. and that, and now I'm trying to work, but yeah. I want to have some time to for my for recreation and for yes. fitness and for getting more sleep, and so I'm trying to. So I've written my, I think I've written my last book, that was Eat to Light, um, Eat for Life, and I do think it's it's a kind of a summary, a culmination of my life's work that has a lot of the, um, the important pieces of other books, but also the newest science in it. And I'd like to be people to read that book, Eat for Life. Eat for Life. It's read, on Amazon and your website, right. joelferman.com. If they read one book, or it's drferman.com. Drferman.com. Dr. Dr. Furman, right. Okay. So that's the, my one book, even though I have other books that are dear to my heart, like Fast Food Genocide and you know, Super Immunity and Disease Before Your Child. I have, like you said, Tremendous four, books, but people like, they don't want to read about genocide, like junk food is genocide, right? Yeah, right but it was, right, the, right. Truth. It was the, truth. the truth. And the did science. You look at that, yes, did you ever look at that book? Oh, tremendous. Tremendous. Oh, it's a much very interesting book. I love the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You, well, you, thanks for the interview, and of course, um, all the work that you're doing. Really, yeah, Joel, it, it's a pleasure, and I think that um, with your permission, I'll even transcribe this and I'll add it to a, a future section of one of my books. And uh, you know, we'll talk about you know some of those things that we came to conclusions about to agree to disagree or to figure out if we spoke a little bit longer and kind of worded it in a different way we're really talking about the same thing ultimately it's is to get you the, the watcher and the viewer to get the kind of result that uh, you are known for getting people uh, it's very difficult in an outpatient setting because I worked with Pritikin for six-week programs people would come in each week they'd have to prepare their foods you know we would make uh, food demonstrations lectures and everything and we got a really high percentage of success but when I work with Tony Robbins, we gave them my cookbook, you know, oil-free, uh, plant-based, and they made the recipes for their 10-day program. And in 10 days, amazing results that we look back 20 years later. And you probably have this as well. Sometimes just having a person come into the Living Center for a month or two months or three months. Do you have anything shorter than a month? Okay, but but when you because I my that's why I opened this place is because yeah. these people go away to these places and they for two or three weeks even or a week or so and they change their diet and they get results and they get benefits mm. but they um, in more than ninety percent of the cases they gain the weight back they go off the diet and they don't they don't learn they have to learn the they, it takes longer to be able to get to a person's head how they think their emotions their outlook on life their skills and their to to be able to learn and enjoy this and stay with it the rest of their life that's the they, that's the money or the results so the meat is in their long-term success. The person not just loses weight here, but they continue to lose weight as they go home, and they continue loving living and eating this way. And that takes more time in most
I envision you buying up all the surrounding property and having multiple units where people can come and, and experience the real life of Joel Furman, the work you've done for nearly 40 years, the energy, the passion, all the books, the, the tapes. Uh, I, I'm a big advocate. I, I binge on your YouTube videos. And, uh, you know, I think something about podcasts is unique and special because it's like so now. I want one final question. Coronavirus, COVID-19. People are terrified. They have no clue that they have a powerful immune system. You wrote about it back in 2005 12, or 9, 12. 2012 okay. was super Predicting I even, I even talked about this was going to happen. Pandemic. Pandemic. Yeah. So how can a person... They have, they have the power in their hands right now. Yeah. Not to, get, not to be hurt. And that being said, we have 10 to the 30th viruses which is literally trillions of viruses in our body now when we breathe we take it in regardless if i'm sitting six feet or two feet away from you we have exposures true but in a recent study eight thousand people they found 94 viruses including hiv and coronavirus and you name it but when they did gene sequencing which is really the only accurate test. PCR, let's just say, has 85% false positive. People don't want to hear that. But what we have now is a built-in way with the same thing you teach about immunity for the immune system for cancer yes. applies now to COVID-19. True? That's, that's the answer. The answer is when you eat to protect against cancer, which we're all Eat, sleep, exercise, all of it too, though, right? I mean, it's important. G-bombs. G-B-O-M-B-S. Stands for? The foods that have the most protection against common cancer mm -hmm. are the secret to not getting hurt by COVID-19. It's not that complicated. Let's go through this. It's greens, greens beans, beans, onions, onions mushrooms, mushrooms, berries, berries and, seeds. and seeds. Greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. G-bombs, plural. And the plant paradox guy is in left field saying that beans, uh, if they're uncooked, you don't eat raw beans. Yeah, beans, but, could but be, beans can't have, have to be well cooked. Beans, beans have lectins, which actually have an anti-cancer property. And I mean, yeah, it's correct. And bone strengthening properties. And they're all associated with longevity. Nightshade, uh, uh, you don't restrict uh, the, the nightshade families, the eggplant and so forth, potatoes? No, no, we love those things, except there are 1 in 20 people with rheumatoid arthritis that are sensitive to that. So just so, in other words, there's not one size fits all, but in the vast majority, restriction is not necessary. There's one person here, though, right now with rheumatoid arthritis, who's came in on um, 15 narcotics a day, and on and on huge amounts of steroids and huge amounts of other drugs. It was just, you know, but but. You know, what I'm saying is I'm cautious with certain foods, and we have to modify the recommendations for the individual. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So there may be some people who are sensitive to beans and some people who are sensitive to nightshades with rheumatoid arthritis, but it's not, um, it's not that common. You, know. you once described, I watched you in a video interview, I was next, and you described the most eloquent explanation of how to deal with the most severe autoimmune condition imaginable of any type, because autoimmune Hashimoto's, lupus, arthritis, Give me that nutshell of what you said in that interview, and I know you had it know. on top of your head. Just, just say, <laughs> what would you do if someone who has Crohn's disease, lupus, arthritis, and the general variety of foods, 
may be uh, sensitive compatibility to their body as viewed as a foreign protein. So how do you tease out what is going to be best for that person? It's different between a an inflammatory bowel disease patient from a lupus patient, from an RA patient. It's a little bit different. The protocol is a little different for each condition. For example, lupus patients shouldn't eat sprouts, but they shouldn't eat any alfalfa sprouts. The so the, but it, and it's not all rheumatoid arthritis patients are sensitive to beans either. Or, or, so, but first they start with the right diet. They start with the right basic diet. And Plant-based, oil-free, Plant-based, but a person has colitis, we're not giving them much raw vegetables. We're giving mostly cooked foods and soups and stews. Okay. So it, it really, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't do no, that, you, that you, question you just ju answered it really justice well. right now. That alone, uh, that was okay. great enough. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Dr. Nick Delgado, Dr. Joel Furman, get his latest book, Eat for Life. Thank you. Eat for Life. It's right. an amazing book. Check into his retreat, his website, uh, Dr. Eat to live. It's eat for life. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Uh, there's a video about your retreat, and I'm here in person at his retreat in San Diego, California. There's a little back roads you got to get to. Did you see my? To the area. Did you see my 100 fruit trees out there? It's amazing. Yeah, I got more. I got more nut trees in the front yard and mango trees, but I got fig trees on the side. But I got the got all these exotic fruit trees. And I got the, you see the vegetable gardens, oh, the amazing. raised boxes. Yes, yeah, unbelievable, amazing. You've done it right. You've done it better than anyone in the world has ever thought to do. And uh, uh, some of these advanced treatment centers have all these bells and whistles and, and, and chemical interventions and elaborate things. But you're getting to the core of the problem, solving that problem, and not ignoring their medical condition, personalized from a laboratory perspective, from what's going on. So these are the things that people need to hear loud and clear that we don't have a pandemic issue. We have an individual issue of putting the wrong things into our mouth. Exactly. COVID could be nothing if we keep ourselves healthy and people have to get that message and live by it. Diabetes could be nothing, nothing within 10 to within 30 to 90 days. You've seen it over and over again, Absolutely. reversing it off their insulin, off their diabetic medications. Same with arthritis, same with cancer. Cancer is a little tougher, but you have the records to follow, to show, and to do the imaging where they went in and said, we still have to do surgery and the, and the cancer's gone. In many cases, we've seen, we've seen astonishing, miraculous results. They're not, you can't say that those results are as predictable and consistent as with diseases like you know, rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, heart disease, diabetes, but we still see it's worth the effort. In many cases, people get, can get better. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to get on a tennis court with you, but I'll hit a ball around. But uh, Let's I'll, do I'll it. go in the weight room with you. I'll go swimming with you. Did you see my? Okay, we got to do the weights. Then. Not, we got to do some exercise. I, I love weights. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Be well. Be strong, Dr. Joel Furman, an amazing individual. Please get in touch with him, Dr. Nick Delgado. Go to nickdelgado.com. My latest book, Immune Rejuvenation. The first version that got banned by Amazon is up there. The new book on Amazon is uh, Blood Doesn't Lie, and my next book coming out is on estrogen dominance. We don't even have a title yet, but this is a forerunner to it because Dr. Joel Furman understands that animals are loaded with estrogen. They have estrous cycles. They fill your body up with estrogen. Plants have like phytochemicals that are more protective of the receptor sites of estrogen. Absolutely. Same with the comment about soy. You want more the whole fresh, but... Yeah. It's, it's not the problem. It, the solution lies in this man's nutritarian diet. Thank you very much. Hey, guys, I got to tell you, the new coaching program has come out, and we're excited about the coaching program because the coaching program is at nickdelgado.com. 
We'd love to help to guide you, to coach you on your health journey. And now you can apply for the special coaching program. And you can also get our special book, Immune Rejuvenation. Just leave your name and email and you're going to get one of the best books written on this whole subject. We are excited to know, Anne, and I got to tell you that, you know, the whole idea of immune rejuvenation has come.